Welcome to Have Hope, We'll Travel. I'm your host, Katie Axelson. This week, we're here with one of my new friends, Heather Enright. Heather and I met through a community called Called Creatives. She has recently written a book, and it has been such a pleasure to get to know her and to get to hear her heart. The purpose of Have Hope, We'll Travel is to give different people space to share their stories. And the unique perspective that Heather brings to the table is she's an empty nester. She's a mom of adult children. And we, as adults who have parents, sometimes need some help navigating that relationship. So Heather's going to offer a little bit of insight on what it's like to be the parent of adults in ways that we as adults can take back to our relationship with our parents. She's also going to share about her book, which if you have not checked out Sewing in Tears yet, please do so. The book has changed my world. Highly recommend. We'll share more about that at the end. So Heather, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Katie. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the ministry that you run and what that looks like for you in your life? Okay. Well, in 2017, I started an organization called Box Club. And the idea was with my oldest son leaving, launching our oldest from the nest, that trying to find a way to mother in a new era when it's really hard when you've poured yourself into mothering for decades and now all of a sudden they're not in your house, but you're still a mom. So it's just this sort of abstract thing. And so I invited some friends over and we made care packages for our kids and it's just organically grown since then. So here we are entering year four and we have care packing parties in 12 locations and five states. And I've also built on our website, we have a lot of free resources to download, word-based resources, including Bible reading plans and scripture coloring pages that I hand draw. But really the heart of Box Club for me is that when I was in college, I lost my dad when I was 19. And the end result, some of the ripple effects of that was that I was left grieving on my own. Family relationships really shifted there, and so I didn't have parental support. So Box Club is born from my desire to redeem that place. Um, it's uncharted territory, which my kids know, um, that I wasn't really parented in this season entering adulthood, and so we have honest conversations that I want to do it well and helping them understand where I'm coming from. So my heart is really for moms transitioning, but also the, the twofold aspect of that is cheering adults, uh, young adults into adulthood. It's a huge transition, and you're the younger generation, my kids' generation, those in their 20s and 30s, y'all have lived in the digital age. And so I think learning how to connect on your own independently looks really different than it did for our generation. Yeah, absolutely. So first things first, what kind of things go in these care packages? <laughs> well, um, I try not to put anything too junky. I don't do any nut products because um, I have a nephew with a nut allergy. But we try to do snacks, and I've developed over the years, I've kind of developed my little formula, sweet snacks, salty snacks. Um, not really potato chips, but, you know, crackers and that sort of thing. Um, breakfast items and 
Uh, we also try to make sure there's a mac and cheese cup or some kind of quick meal like that, something in the microwave for in a dorm or an apartment. Mm -hmm. um, we also add in some things that they might need in their dorm or apartment, like Kleenex and school supplies, you know, close to finals, we add in highlighters and index cards. So things that are consumable and usable, um, as well as a handwritten note and a scripture postcard. I love that. I think Kleenex is sometimes a sign of adulthood. <laughs> <laughs> if you're not just using toilet paper, you've moved on to boxes of Kleenex. Well, I mean, I have to confess that I send boxes of Kleenex, but I don't always have them at my house. <laughs> I just pulled a new box out yesterday and I was like, am I a real adult? Do I have any more Kleenex or am I, am I back to being a teenager with the toilet paper? I can send you a box if you need a care package, Katie. I found one, but I'm always welcoming care packages. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so I know that you mentioned that your journey into adulthood was hard because of your parental support. What did you learn through that season? And how is that translating to how you're doing work now? Um, that is a really good question because I feel like it changed everything. Um, I grew up in a church-going family, a really intact family, military family. My dad was called to the ministry, and so his last six years he pastored. So I grew up going to church. I grew up in a really solid family, feeling like kind of beaver cleaver. And then all of a sudden, my senior year of high school, dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he was given three to six months, but he lived 18 months. So it was a bit of a, um, it's a strange place to be starting fresh in college in a new city where you don't know anybody and um, you don't really have uh, support from home. And it wasn't for lack of trying, but my dad was literally fighting for his life. So um, your peers, I didn't know anybody there. My peers at that age, you don't understand. There's no frame of reference for somebody going through circumstances like that. Um, so it was very tricky and very hard. Um, it was a really lonely time. I would say that my college years were some of the loneliest, hardest times in my life. For sure felt like, just kind of like my world was shaken. Everything kind of fell apart at that point. I did meet my husband. That was God's very sweet grace towards me is that I met my husband around that time. And so he was my support. But it definitely gave me a, a unique perspective in life to have had that sort of loss, um, the really complex and profound loss so early. And it's impacted the way I mother. It's impacted my relationships. Um, it's impacted my perspective. But the biggest thing is it's really grew faith. I just clung to the only thing I knew, which was the faith I grew up with. So definitely in that season, I learned how sufficient God was. And that has completely reshaped my life, you know, henceforth. Thank you for sharing your story, because I know that that's a hard part of your story. And I know that that's not, and it was not an easy thing to walk through. So I can't imagine what that was like, but I love how you're like, I'm not just going to let this be a hard part of my story. I'm going to find the redemption in it. And I think that you talk a lot about redemption and I think that you live a lot of redemption. And so that's absolutely beautiful. I trip over the word redemption. So if someone were to ask you like, what's the definition of redemption, how would you define it? I would say redemption is allowing God to reveal purpose from the pain. Mm. And if you can find purpose from an experience that you've lived through, then it's not a wasted experience. I tell my kids that no experience is wasted if there's a lesson learned. 
Mm. So no matter if it's hard, if it's easy, if it's, um, you know, whatever, they, however they might describe the situations they go through, I remind my kids, if there's a lesson learned, then it's not wasted. So that's redemption to me. I absolutely love that quote. I'm going to borrow that one. No experience is <laughs> wasted if it's a lesson learned because I get caught in hard seasons and I just kind of want to push forward or like regret a mistake or something like that. Um, I don't do grace very well, but <laughs> confession alert, um, but no experience is wasted if it's a lesson learned. That helps me recognize, hey, I learned from that. I can have grace for that because there's redemption in that. So thank you for teaching me that right now. I appreciate yeah, that. Absolutely. Well, that's the gospel. Oh, for I sure. That, that is the gospel is that um, our redemption was bought there was purpose and a really devastating pain. And so it is the rhythm of the gospel that we want it. We want the purpose. We don't want the pain part of it. We want to skip to the lesson and not have the hard, the hard road to get there. But that's not actually um, even the life that Jesus lived. And that's not what the gospel's about. And that's not what the Bible's about. You know, we tend to grow up with this um, mentality of like these great heroes of faith and the Bible and David and Goliath and all of these people are, are like Moses. Well, he spent um, 40 years in the desert running after he killed the Egyptian um, slave master. And then, of course, he was used greatly, and we see this incredible moment, and that's what we think about. That's what's in our, our Bibles as kids, illustrated. And then there's 40 more years with the really grumbly people in the desert wilderness after. But the meat of the lives of people in the Bible were the hard times and the tedious and the day-to-day -day and the losses and the failures. Yeah, I don't like loss and failure, but I'm <laughs> learning to learn from them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I think this year is probably challenging all of us to, to have, <laughs> we have to lean into it. And, you know, having uh, had three children, you know, at least then you knew when it was going to be over. You know, you had to do True. Like, this is the hard thing that we're all dealing with is we have no idea. We have no mm -hmm. idea when the labor is going to be over and when the new thing is going to be birthed. But we have to True. keep leaning in and finding, mm -hmm. you know, finding grace and preaching grace to ourselves by remembering people in scripture, remembering the gospel, remembering that Jesus himself for the for the joy he's for the joy set before him. He endured even the cross and that joy was looking to um, obey his father. So mm -hmm. we follow that example. But it's a day after day or, you know, for me, a million times a day. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Let's talk about the pandemic for a minute. What has it looked like for you and your family? And um, so the pandemic's been a little interesting here at my house because uh, my oldest is 21 and he is a senior now in college. And my middle, my younger son, um, was in Athens, Greece with Youth with a Mission, living in an apartment with eight others on his team. And he was due to fly out March 6th from Greece. So because of him being there in Europe and friends we have in Italy, we knew, um, we sort of knew the storm was coming from how it was impacting them. And by the grace of God, Cooper got out of Greece um, with just having to be rerouted. But he spent his last 10 days there serving Afghan refugees, 
with the idea that at a moment's notice, literally within an hour, his team could have been extracted if they perceived the borders were going to close. So we sort of were on pins and needles just trying to get him out and make sure that wasn't going to be any issue. And by God's grace, it happened, and he got to do his full debrief in Kona, Hawaii. So we knew when he flew home that we were quarantined. And a friend of his from YWAM was stuck in Dallas as well. So we had two international travelers at our house on March 16th. And so we were locked down for 14 days with them and really locked down. And um, so it's just been a lot of having to be flexible for him. His whole plan has been out the window and he's still trying to determine next steps. Our college son, um, is, he is now laughing as he's preparing to go into his senior year and leaving in the next week, that he can't believe spring break is over. Mm. <laughs> it's five months later, uh, the youngest is, just turned 16. So it's been, it's hard, you know, when you're a high schooler and she's an athlete and um, really strong academics. So it's been really tricky for her. She likes things to be planned out. So the pandemic has been a lot of, you know, trying to help everybody pivot. Mm -hmm. That has been our word is pivot um, from if you're a friend's lover, you know, the episode with <laughs> screaming pivot. Um, my IT husband has worked from home. Oof. My yeah, on Zoom calls. And I love that man with all that I am. But he is a loud talker. <laughs> <laughs> So there's nothing like a pandemic when you suddenly have, you know, a college student, a high school student, and IT has been all working from home while you're trying to write a book. So yeah. uh, challenging, but we have just tried to find the good in it. Um, you know, going back to the whole idea of redemption that, you know, the Lord definitely taught me that early on. So drawing back from that experience, um, what can we glean from this? What can we learn from this? How can we keep pressing on, um, you know, just trying to learn the lessons. Mm -hmm. We're way over it, though, now. <laughs> like, As an adult. Let our people go. Yes, <laughs> let our people go. I love that. As an adult who spent a good portion of the quarantine with my parents, I feel you. Yeah, and we just tried to, I try to be sensitive to my kids while they know that, you know, I don't really have a precedent to go by um, as a parent of adult kids. You know, I've tried to tell them, like, look, I'm just be honest with them, have honest communication. I, I'm trying to give you a really wide path here to be the adult that you are. And I, I applaud you and all that you're accomplishing, but we are your family. Um, so try to connect with us from time to time. But if you need to self-isolate from the people you're self-isolating from, no shame in that game. You know, go hole up in your room. It's all good. Let's just try to show grace to one another. <laughs> so trying to just allow everybody to do what you need to do to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. So thinking about having adult kids now, again, you're in brand new territory. I obviously don't have any kids, so I can't even imagine what it's like to have adult kids. Um, how has that changed how you interact with them? I like the wide path idea that you had mentioned. Can you expound a little bit upon what that looks like? Yes. So my husband and I have tried to be very intentional in our parenting, and I've tried to look ahead. We tried to parent for the long game. So we've tried mm -hmm. to parent in the early years with the idea of we are raising adult. These are adults in training. 
we're not going to be the lawnmower parents, you know, the teacher calls, you know, I've gotten a couple of teacher calls over the years about the homework wasn't turned in. And I don't know what response they expected, but I then give them a zero. That is what they earned. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm that mom that's like, no, sure. it's like consequence. Like they have to be an adult. And a lot of conversations growing up about when you are an adult and you don't do your work for your boss, there will be consequences. So, um, try to be intentional going into high school and because I was really so independent all of a sudden I know my kids can do hard things and I had to be an adult at, at fresh after my 19th birthday so I know that they're capable um, so we started trying to back off a bit in high school and we try to have the mentality in their high school years that we are now going to quit throwing the flag in the middle of the field as a referee and we're going to step back to the stands to be the coach to kind of call in the plays. And then having the idea that when we sent them off to, to college or youth with a mission or, you know, whatever their next step was, that we were moving to the stands to cheer them on. Mm-hmm. You are adults. Yes, we are still financially, you know, responsible. But I'm trying to treat them with the respect of you are an adult now. And so I've been 19. Now it's your turn. You have to make your own choices, and there will be consequences for those. And and there's nothing you can do to make me quit loving you. I'll get your back every bit of the way, but that doesn't mean if you make poor choices, you won't end up paying for them. Yeah, I think that's important. I love the progression that you did with your husband so intentionally. So if that's not been someone's experience, do you have any recommendations for how to approach conversations with their parents if they don't feel like they're getting the independence they deserve? Yeah, that has not been my experience, obviously, as I've said. It's like the exact opposite. But I think for me, I want my kids to come to me um, respectfully and, um, you know, I don't want to lord over them. I want them to come to me and have honest communication. You treat other people with grace and goodness and you approach them in that way. And so I would hope that if you're an adult who's relationship with your parents doesn't look quite like you want, that you would be able to prayerfully um, pave the way toward a conversation where you can be honest to say, you know, kind of paint a picture, cast a vision with them. This is the rest of our lives. We're going to all be adults. So the rest of our lives, I want to have a good relationship with you, you know, affirming to your parents the importance of that connection and that they still have a role in your life because it's often hard to realize that your kids do still need you or think about you. I mean, as a, it's not about me, but as a parent, it, it definitely fills me up when my kids convey to me that, you know, I'm important and our relationship is important. So I think mm-hmm. leading with that to have a conversation. The connection's important, mom, dad. And and so how can we build that kind of relationship and start setting new precedent for mm-hmm. the rest of our lives? I'm so glad that you mentioned prayer as part of that, because that's actually the next thing I was going to ask you. What do you wish that your kids were praying for you as parents? For me as a parent? For you as a parent or just generic adult children praying for their parents? Oh, that's interesting because I... I haven't really even, I feel like I'm still in this place with my kids. The most powerful way that I can mother my adult children is through prayer. And one of my kids, my middle, and when he was little, he put his little fingers on my mouth as I was lecturing him, which his older brother could, you know, manage to take a lecture with no problem. And Cooper said too many woods. 
So um, we have always known that he is a kid of action and um, words are best spoken in in very few to him, but a lot to the Lord. Mm. So I still feel like prayer is my role um, Mm. for my kids. I don't think we're quite at that reciprocal place where I expect it from them. Um, My biggest prayer for them is that they walk in truth. You know, I tell them, I don't care about your happiness. Really, I want you to be holy. I want them to have a hunger for the Lord. So if they were praying for me, I mean, I can't even imagine that would be amazing to hear them say, you know, Mom, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you specifically? You know, that's a question we ask them. How can, what specifically can I pray for you? So that might be a lovely thing to tell your parents. How can I specifically be praying for you? Yeah. That's a good one. And it's a, it's a hard one because it's a vulnerable one. It, it is a role switcher, it but is. in a good way. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes maybe you perceive in your relationship with your parents that for whatever reason, their past history or their past wounds, it's not going to look the way you want. And so I think that, you know, that's where prayer is the key is that you pray for wisdom, for how to approach it. You, um, uh, Romans twelve eighteen. as far as it depends on you, you live at peace with all men, including your parents. So you pray through it, you make, you work at it, you're willing to be vulnerable and to obey the Lord. But as an adult, um, we're called to honor our parents, we're not called to obey our parents. Mm. So, um, you know, if you've done everything you can do, and this is part of my life story, sometimes you just have to live with the way it is. And it may not look the way you want, but God can raise up other people in your life to fulfill the roles that you need. So I want to encourage, you know, young adults out there, if, if your parents aren't the spiritual mentors that you'd like them to be, or they can't offer what you are needing, then pray for the Lord to raise up people in your life, in your church, and um, other places that would be willing to speak into your life. Mm-hmm. I, for one, I... I love the opportunity to um, be a bonus parent to adult kids, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and to be somebody that they call and ask questions of. It, it's not a burden at all to me. It's something mm-hmm. I welcome. Yeah, that's part of my story as well. I mean, my parents are happily married and they're wonderful influences in my life. My dad's not a follower of Jesus, which means there have been times when I've needed spiritual fatherly insight and I haven't been able to retrieve that from him. And I get delightful other influences that that have been incredibly helpful in navigating countless different things in my life. But I was reflecting on it one day and I realized that in every season of my life, the Lord has provided a strong spiritual man to father me in that way. And so it's a totally different kind of influence than I get from, from my actual dad. Um, But there have been, there have been men who've stood in that gap for me. And I praise the Lord for that because my parents can't be everything. You know, I had a friend on the podcast a couple weeks ago who's a single mom. And one of the things that she put to words that I had never thought of before is like, I can't be the only person that my kid comes to. And that was mind blowing for me because I had understood the concept, but I'd never experienced it before. And so having those other adults that I value, whose opinions I value, like I do my parents, is incredibly helpful. Yeah. And I think sometimes you know, honestly, as an adult, there's just other, maybe there's just other people that can speak into your life in ways that, you know, your parents aren't able to. So I think, you know, it, it goes back to attempting it prayerfully, 
working towards it. Um, there may be a time that you have to grieve and embrace the way that it is, that it just mm -hmm. is the way that it is. And then asking the Lord to fill those needs other places. You know, sometimes the, it, it is actually better advice or it's a better source of what you need when it's somebody not related to you. I mean, we have a, a we call her a bonus daughter. She lived with us for a little while. She's 25 and now married to a widower. So she's also suddenly a mom. And um, I've told her it's the best. I can boss you around and not worry about it in the long run. Like your mom is still walking some tender roads with you based on your relationship because she's your mom. But like I can tell you get a grip in a way that I wouldn't tell my own kids that, you know, I would be more gentle. So sure. um, those relationships, I mean, that's what the body of Christ is all about. It's our duty to speak into the lives of each other and to speak in to mentor those younger than us. So it's actually our job. So I, I would hope that anybody in any season would um, not feel timid about asking somebody to mentor and uphold what the Bible's called them to do. Mm -hmm. I like that. You said a few minutes ago that as adults, our goal is to honor our parents instead of obey them. How do you differentiate between those two? That is a very good question. So this, um, I'm passing on free therapy. You don't have to pay yes. for it. I paid for it in the past. Um, but that was, there was a point in time where that was an important conversation that I needed to understand. I had this guilt about things not looking the way that it wanted to and a lot um a lot of expectations I felt like I wasn't living up to. And so it was actually my pastor at the time of some pastoral counseling that he pointed out, you know, you're to honor, he told me, you're to honor your, your parents not to obey them as an adult. That's your biblical mandate. And I, like you, well, what does that exactly mean? How does that flesh out? And so at that point, he kind of helped explain, you know, that honoring them, it's about not speaking ill of them. It's about showing respect to them. It's about uh, being grateful for the way that they've parented you, that they've raised you, you know, for the way they've invested in you as parents. It's honoring that with a grateful heart. Um, it's honoring them at special occasions. The way that I prayerfully went forward is like, what are those special things that I need to be sure and continue to pay attention to as an adult child? And, um, you know, birthdays, holidays, that sort of thing. That's how that sort of fleshed out that um, just because there was a need expressed by a parent, um, that doesn't mean that I have to meet that need. Mm. Uh, and as a mom at that point with little ones, it was emphasized you know, that my first ministry is no longer to my parents. You know, my first ministry was to my husband and kids. So whether you're single and God's given you a ministry at your job or a group that you're influencing or a calling, that's your first ministry. And so you obey the Lord by putting those ministries rightly and then also honoring your parents. Y'all know me. I always consider stuff good when I have to go sit with Jesus. And there are quite a few things Heather has already said that I need to go sit with Jesus on. But we are not done talking yet, Heather. Um we are going to take a really smooth transition here to talk about something that you have already teased us with a little bit. Yeah. You just wrote a book. I did. Just Tell us about Sewing in Tears because I have read it and oh my gosh, I had to sit with Jesus more than once. <laughs> so Katie is my first reader. So it's very much an honor and privilege to be talking about the book with her because she played a huge part as my editor. And, um, 
this is my second book. I wrote a book that was published in 2019, but this is an interesting project because grief is such a huge part of my story and um, having a profound grief at a really early age. Um, and then some, you know, grief experiences, of course, since then, as well as some seasons of depression, just to, you know, throw in some extra grieving, so sorrowful times in life. I always had thought that maybe I'll write on this, but it just never, it never felt right. It always felt like I'm just telling my story and not that there's not validity in that, but I felt like for me to write on grief, there needed to be, I needed to give something to give traction. There needed to not just be, this is the problem. I wanted to be able to kind of hand over a bit of a, for lack of a better term, solution. So mm -hmm. I had written a book on Esther last year. And in the course of writing that, Ruth came to mind. And I actually told my husband um, about this time last year, like, I bet I can crank out a book on Ruth in no time at all. And he was said, well, don't get cocky. It took you 10 years to get the Esther book done. <laughs> And uh, I was like, no, but it's only four chapters. Like, I, I bet I could do that pretty quick. Like, now I have my writing and research process down, and, um, you know, I bet I could. So, anyway, as I started researching Ruth, it was just this incredible moment of epiphany. The first day I sat with my concordance and my all my geeky Bible tools things, like my um, keyword search, Hebrew to Greek, Hebrew and Greek to um, English, Anyway, I realized, like, this is the book on grief. This is mm -hmm. it. And I kind of didn't see that coming. I, I thought it was going to be more about um, rejection or betrayal or being the outsider. I had done a previous uh, Bible study on Ruth, and that was, grieving was a piece of it. But I, I really perceived it more about rejection. Um, but then as I started writing, realizing this is really the book on grief. And it was sort of stumbling onto something that, you know, the Lord was sweet in his timing that 30 years after losing my dad, I was at a place where I could speak to grief with different perspective. And two years post a pretty severe depression that lasted uh, from 2016 to 2018. So it was just God's divine timing. And then sort of the, the bow that wrapped it all up. Um, was the life of a sweet friend of ours named Kate, also named Katie. And I've actually, more of the story in chapter four of the book, but I've known Katie since she joined her family in a very unique way. And um, she grew up with my kids. She died a year ago from the day of publication. It was to the day that um, Katie died, that the book was Sewing in Tears, The Father's Heart to the Grieving was published, and it's her art that's the cover art. So I just, God just really had ordained it for just this time, and um, and of course, as I'm starting to write it, and then, you know, there's this thing called a pandemic, um, and thinking, oh, we're all sort of grieving some things, like my 25th anniversary trip to Italy that didn't mm. happen. And, and then, of course, having no idea that by the time the book was done and published, we would still be in a pandemic. Mm. So I do think that whatever you're sowing in tears about, whether it's your life not looking like you pictured, um, whether it's the compounded loss of 2020, whether it's the death or a divorce or a breakup or a betrayal, I mean, Grieving comes from all sorts of things, and for sure 2020 is a year we've all felt grief in various ways. Yeah, that I think is a powerful insight of like grief is not just the death of an individual or a relationship. It's the death of a dream. It's the death of a hope. It's the death of, of anything that 
that isn't the way it should be. And so giving yourself the space to grieve that and recognizing, hey, this is grief, even though I'm not standing next to a casket, still walking through it and letting the Lord redeem that, you know, letting the Lord not waste that experience so that there can be a lesson learned through it. And I think that the book is a great resource for walking through that together and for exploring, hey, I'm not the first one who's experienced something like this. And so what does it look like to process my own grief using the examples we see from scripture? Yeah, I think we don't grieve well. We really are awful at grieving in our in our culture and, and in our churches. And, and that's even more of a travesty that our churches, we don't grieve well. You know, I really, it may sound strange, but I find myself a bit envious of the Jewish tradition of, of sitting Shiva. Like we don't have rituals. We don't allow, you know, grieving is sort of this thing that we, either want to just sort of downplay or in the church, you know, like we want to sort of, um, we just don't want to allow the space for the hard to exist. And grief is hard for whatever is causing it. Grief is a hard place and it, it just needs safe places where it can linger because it, it does linger. It's not a, a something you check off of a list. So um, that's the other part of my purpose in writing the book is just to really speak to the idea that grief is something that we need to give space for and we need to um, recognize it and validate it and honor it as an important aspect of life. For sure. You mentioned a little bit about your story and we don't need to go into details on this, but just your journey with depression. I'd love to hear your input on how you handled your season of depression. And if you have any advice for others who are walking through mental health challenges, especially as we're in a pandemic, but regardless of what's going on, mental health can be hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I am a social worker by training. So um, it's sort of, I have this other backup, I have this backup gig um, that sort of speaks to mental health and is about that. But um, uh, so depression is genetic in my family. Um, it, and, and actually now as I share stories with my cousins, I'm the oldest cousin, but um, my sister and I are the oldest cousins by decades. But um, as we share stories, we realize like, oh, actually we think it goes back even farther than has been admitted. Uh-huh. So there is a genetic component. I definitely was depressed in college and clinically depressed. I would say a lot of health issues, um, did not have anybody in my life that knew how to guide me in that. So just sort of wrestled through it with a, a lot of long, angry letters to the Lord. Um, and I probably should have been medicated and had some counseling. I was seeking some counseling, but it got to be a bit much. And my counselor said it was outside their realm. So that was that. Um, and back in the early 90s, um, colleges didn't really have mental health counseling facilities like they do now. So that's improved. But I had a severe postpartum after my second child where I barely functioned for about five months. And when I say barely functioned, I mean barely. I was calling in the troops to come feed my children and and whatnot. Um, The depression that came in 2016 was, it sort of snuck up on me, honestly, because my oldest was a senior in high school and I don't know why we do this to each other, but, you know, it's this hushed tone of, how are you doing with that? 
like as if my son was mm-hmm. about to die or something like he was just going off to college. But we do this in our culture where we sort of talk about things and from obviously our own perspective and we we don't speak in a way that's empowering to one another. You know, we just assumptions are made and we approach each other in that way. So I, I thought it was just senior year blues and transitioning and you know, sending the first one off and then thinking, oh, really life is going to change because two years later, the next one. And then, you know, before I know it, I'll be an empty nester. And it's been all about being a mom. So it snuck up on me and um, I didn't deal with it well. I had a couple of close friends that I could approach about it that I felt like would let me talk about it. Of course, my poor husband, bless him. He's a saint. But really, it reached a point after two years where I was realizing how incredibly fragile I was. I couldn't deny anymore what it was. And listen, newsflash, I'm just going to tell you now. If you cannot walk into church without sunglasses on because you Mm -hmm. might burst into tears and then you will have to turn and leave immediately, you may not be functioning well, just a little, that's a little diagnostic for you. So I I finally told my friend who's my doctor and also happens to be Katie's dad. um, Side note, I feel like I'm just chasing away this black cloud all the time. Like it's the dumbest little things that just throw me over the edge. And he said, yeah, that's not normal. That's depression. (laughs) And um, I am going through, have gone through this glorious thing called menopause lately. So, you know, there's definitely some body changes and, you know, age and stage changes, but um, we were able to find an antidepressant that worked well. And it was once I started feeling like myself, I realized how not myself I had been. Mm. So I really, um, in hindsight, I wish that I had been more vulnerable with some people and, and felt like I could say, I'm really not myself. I'm really not okay. And here's what this, you know, here's sort of the symptomatics of that. So I, I think if you find yourself at a place that the littlest thing just throws you over the edge um, and you kind of feel like it's too much, which I think 2020 is doing that to all of us, then you need to find somebody that you can talk to. Yeah, for sure. And I do think 2020 is putting a lot of us on edge because I think a lot of us have that black cloud right now. And I don't, some of us it's personal, but some of us is just like bracing for impact of like what's September going to bring because I just don't know. Um, And so while I think a lot of us are in that, I also don't think it's natural. And so what does it look like to find what's going to be the right solution for you? Because unfortunately we can't end the pandemic. You know, we can't end the race relations that need to be resolved. You know, we need to keep moving forward. And what does that look like? And what does it look like for each individual? Yeah. And and I will just say this, to be a Christian does not mean that you will not struggle. In mm -hmm. fact, if you're not struggling, then maybe you really aren't trying to be set apart for Christ. But I think there there is this huge issue in the church, like I said, where we don't allow for grieving. We don't allow for people to struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is a tool of the enemy, to not allow us to be vulnerable in our circles and to not allow for the fact that, yes, we have our eyes set on a hope to come that's everlasting. But we, in the meantime, are living in a world that's not right. Mm-hmm. And so it, it does no reflection of your faith if you are struggling with mental health. Yeah. Thank you for that, because I think that's something we need to continue to preach to one another because it hasn't been preached for so long. And so it's time that we start talking about it and we talk about it in the sense of like, hey, 
the Lord actually promised struggles. And so now how do we respond out of them? So if we want to read Sewing in Tears because we've recognized, hey, we're grieving because, well, this pandemic has stolen my um, spring break um, and all these other things from me, where do we find the book? So the book is on Amazon. Um, unfortunately, I've realized there's two books called Sewing in Tears. Oh, no. But my, <laughs> it's all right. My subtitle is The Father's Heart to the Grieving. Okay. And so it is available on Amazon. You can search Heather Enright. It's E-N-R-I-G-H-T. Um, that is the author that you want to pull up for the Sewing in Tears. And then the cover is a, a really beautiful painting done by Katie that's got grays and um, some greens and some little orange. There's a little bit of orange in the painting. But um, it's a quick read. It's not a long book. And it's really seeing um, God imaged in the person of Boaz how Naomi and Ruth and Orpah were grieving. And it, it just allows for some biblical instruction in the seasons of not just sowing in tears, but also when you're just kind of barely gleaning through it and trying to learn whatever lessons you can, um, hoping for a harvest that you have no idea when it's going to come. I'll add too that Heather unpacks the scriptures and then she also gives us really practical questions that we can each wrestle with. And so you will be escorted into the presence of Jesus as you're reading the book. You will learn something new. You will meet with him. I can't guarantee that, but I can guarantee that. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, that would certainly be my hope. You know, I want his his words to be heard. I want to steward the lessons that he gives me and the things that I learned from scripture. And I want to um, make sure that I'm doctrinally and, and scripturally sound in what I'm putting out there. And I'm not taking the word lightly. Um, I want it to be worth your time and effort to read it and to hear God's voice, not mine. And I think you do that well with this book. Thank you. Where else can we find you online? Do you want Instagram friends? Do you want Facebook friends? Yeah, I'm all about friends and not just the show, although I'm a fan of that as well. <laughs> um, so on Instagram, I'm at box club underscore moms. And um, because my main ministry is to, you know, moms with emptying nests. But of course, that's an overlap with kids entering adulthood. And I use the term kids lightly because, <laughs> you know, I, I mean kids. I'm almost 50. So um, kids is all relative to me at my age. So Box Club underscore moms on Facebook. You can find me at Box Club dash moms. Um, our website for Box Club is boxclub.me. And on our website, there's free downloads of scripture coloring pages. There's some other word-based um, resources that you can download for free. So um, as well as you can find boxes and kits, care packages that I can send for you or kits that you can purchase to, to do your own care package for, you know, a loved one in a nursing home or your bestie or, or whatever, whoever. Everybody needs some love. Do you think if I just sent your link to my mom, she would know that was a hint hint my cousin's in college she's the same age as my son and um she comments every time i post on my private facebook she comments her mom's name <laughs> mom look look, look at what your niece is doing i will say i remember being in college and i felt like a trip to the post office could make or break your day exactly. because my you could see if you had an email without opening it. So I got really good at just walking by and trying to like peek to see if I had mail and then like stopping the world when I did actually have mail and have to get it. But still that disappointment as I'm walking by of like peeping and there's no mail in there. 
Yeah. Yeah, I know. It I mean, yeah. we all listen, no matter your age, you love to open your mailbox and find something that's not asking for money. You know, whether it's a postcard, which I have, you know, sets of scripture postcards. I have little booklets of scripture that I put together because I love to put something in the hands when somebody's going through a tough time. I want to put scripture in their hands. That's the most powerful way we can encourage each other. So I have little booklets that you can purchase that are, you know, you can slip them into a briefcase or a purse, mm. um, as well as the care packages. So I've tried to kind of um, have a different resources available that you can send happy mail in lots of different forms to people that just need to be reminded that they're loved. Mm, that's good. Yeah, I don't check my mail anymore because every time I do, somebody wants money. Oh, well, now, Katie, you're going to have to give me your snail mail. <laughs> Maybe you can get something happy. Maybe. Um, I will also, can I just confess this? You're probably the first person. You are the first person I've told this to. My house used to be a rental which means I get mail for like 15 different people who've ever lived here, right? So I get school, like this is your bus stuff for like several different schools or like several different kids who don't share a name and I'm pretty sure we're not related. But I got a letter in the mail a couple weeks ago that for someone who used to live at this address, I've gotten mail for this individual before, and I wrote, does not live at this address, and I put it back in the mailbox. Three days later, it's back in my mailbox again. Oh, no. And stamped over where I wrote, does not live at this address, is the, like, postage stamp. Like, the machine stamped right on top of where I wrote, does not live at this address. So, in it must have been a good day. I crossed across the name and the address, and I wrote another time, does not live at this address. Well, it never made it back to my mailbox again. And I thought this doesn't actually look that important. I'm just going to throw it away. I've owned the house for a year now. If you haven't updated your address by now, like there's more going on there. And so just because I'm, I'm often with confidential information, I rip basically everything before I throw it away. So I ripped it and then threw it away. And as it's like falling into my garbage can, I see it's a handwritten letter. <gasps> oh. And I'm like, oh, sorry, I tried. Oh. Oh, so I, I didn't, I did not read it. Um, it was not a thing. It was not like a card. It was just like a piece of paper. But I was just like, oops. Oops. Yeah. Listen, I don't know who Bobby Fletch is, but he's <laughs> been giving my number to collectors <laughs> for, I'm not kidding, like 15 years. And it comes and goes in phases where it's like he's added. And he is for sure added again. And oh, so no. I get these text messages or these calls and um, I tell them like, listen, I don't know Bobby Fletch, but if I ever catch up with them, I'm going to make sure <laughs> that we have a conversation about the fact that he keeps giving my phone number. And I've been harassed more than once. Like, are you sure he's not there? And wow. one time I was feeling feisty that day and I said, <laughs> look, if I knew where he was, trust me, I would be telling you where to find him. And he's been <laughs> giving my number out for years. Whoever oh my Bobby gosh. Is, if you're listening. Please. If you're listening, Bobby Fletch, pay your bills. Pay your bills for the life. Get love. your own phone number. <laughs> Be an adult. That's right. Heather doesn't want to mom you anymore. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so awesome. So one question that we always chat about here on Half Hope Will Travel is what do you wish everyone knew? Just in general or go wherever you want with it. Right now, I have to say in the world, I wish everyone knew that we are all fighting a battle mm. because I can just hardly stand it. I wish that everyone 
and the church knew and understood and rested in the grace of God to such an extent and understood it to such an extent that we could extend it to other people. And that's what we were leading with. I'm so disheartened, honestly, by the way that Christian leaders and um, Christian speakers and, and I won't name names are using platforms to spew anything but the name of Jesus mm. and an unbelieving world is watching. So I just wish that whether you believe in Jesus or not, that you could just keep in mind that we are all fighting a battle called life on a good day. And then this is 2020. So um, I just feel like we forget that we're all fragile and broken in different ways. And we forget to listen. And right now, you know, we have a lot of listening to do to a lot of hurting people and a lot of specific communities. And the world is watching how we handle things. And this, it could be our finest moment. I mean, this could be a defining moment where the name of Jesus is extended with such love and extravagance that people are changed. Yeah, for sure. Preach, girl. <laughs> I, I will also say I see the love of Jesus changing people. I'm getting to have conversations that I've never gotten to have before. And I think that it's really beautiful. And I just say more, Lord, like, keep it coming. Let's go. Yeah, it's Absolutely. just simple kindness and respect that go a really long way. And it's smiling behind your mask, whether they see your smile or not, you know, to mm-hmm. just be gracious to the the people working. And, you know, wherever it is, when we lead with love and when we lead with grace, it makes an impact. For sure. Heather, will you pray for us? Yeah, absolutely. Lord, I thank you so much for every listener out there. I thank you for um, the way that you've knit each of us uniquely in our mother's wombs with purpose and with plans, that you invite us to be part of your kingdom work, that you don't need us to do anything, but you invite us to be part of it. And I pray that we would uh, be changed and humbled by that that we would embrace that we aren't enough and we never will be enough. And there we can find freedom because we can realize how enough you are. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to reveal yourself to us every day in our conversations with other people, um, in the way that we see you imaged in nature um, and in your word, Father God, that we would every day seek to know you more, um, seek to love you more, and seek to reflect you more to the watching world. We thank you for saving us um, and for the fact that all that is broken in this world will be made right. All that is wrong will be righted for eternity. And we thank you for that hope that we have. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Heather. This has been such a gift for me. There is a list of things that I want to go chat with Jesus about. (laughs) Okay. Well, now you now you can also just come chat with me sometime too. Oh well, duh. We're, we're friends. Well, we so are friends. This is awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I'm so excited. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. It has been my pleasure. I hope you get to spend some time with Jesus, reflecting on some of the things that Heather and I talked about today. Grab her book, Sewing in Tears: The Father's Heart for the Grieving, on Amazon. As we've mentioned, I have read it. It is phenomenal. Any typos you find are my fault. Go ahead and connect with Heather, Box Club Moms, on all the social media sites. And send a care package to a friend. While we're all in our homes, what a great way to remind others that you love them. It would mean a lot to me if you chose to follow Have Hope Will Travel. Subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review, send it to a friend. so others will find it as well. 
We'll see you again in two weeks. Be blessed, my friend.